Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Good morning. What a great privilege it is to be able to worship together like we have been so far this morning. What an incredible gift. It's wonderful. I well remember the morning of 9-11-2001. So I was driving my daughter to and her friend to junior high to class to friend said, oh, did you hear about the airplane that flew into one of the big buildings in New York? And I said, no, I didn't hear about it. So we went back and thus began a saga for many of us. That event shook up the lives of us in America. It made us realize we're not as secure as we thought we were. In fact, we are quite vulnerable to attack. We thought our massive armed forces Our two oceans to the east and the west, our fortitude as Americans would protect us from attack. And we were wrong. (laughs) And since then, many of us have lived in fear, anxiety. At least it raised our level of fear and anxiety as a nation. Well, just over two weeks ago, on June 26, the Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriage is now the law of the land. And this shook up many Christians and those with traditional values. It was a landmark event for us. As we realized, maybe for the first time, but certainly in a more extreme way than we've ever perhaps seen before, that this culture is no longer friendly to us. And we are now quite vulnerable in a world going awry. Interesting, just even to hear some of the statements by some of the dissenting judges, Supreme Court justices, as they described what this event means for our country and in particular for people of faith. Let me just read some of the quotes. This is Chief Justice John Roberts. The majority's decision is an act of will, not legal judgment. The court invalidates the marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis of human society for millennia for the Kalahari Bushmen and the Han Chinese, the Carthaginians and the Aztecs. Just who do we think we are? Hard questions arise, he goes on to say, when people of faith exercise religion in ways that may be seen to conflict with the new right to same-sex marriage. When, for example, a religious college provides married student housing 
only to opposite-sex married couples, or a religious adoption agency declines to place children with same-sex marriage couples. Unfortunately, people of faith can take no comfort in the treatment they receive from the majority today. It's one thing, he says, for the majority to conclude that the Constitution protects a right to same-sex marriage. It's something else to portray everyone who does not share the majority's better-informed understanding, quote-unquote, as bigoted. And then finally, Justice Alito says this, I assume that those who cling to old beliefs, that's you and me, will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes, but if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by governments, employers, and schools. By imposing its own views on the entire country, the majority facilitates the marginalization of the many Americans who have traditional ideas. Recalling the harsh treatment of gays and lesbians in the past, some may think that turnabout is fair play. But if that sentiment prevails, this nation will experience bitter and lasting wounds. So I think we need to face the reality of what's happening in our culture. It's changing rapidly. Our traditional values are no longer accepted. And what does this mean then for believers? Well, it certainly highlights for us that this world has become a less friendly place for us. And it seems it won't be long before those religious organizations, churches, other organizations that choose to hold to a view of biblical view of marriage as God ordained between a man and a woman will lose tax exempt status and perhaps more. So many on the Internet are sounding the alarm about this and raising the fear level among believers. So it's a good time for us as individuals to reflect on our own hearts. Where is my trust? How strong is my faith in God at times like this? Where am I looking to for my security in an insecure world? As our psalm for today shows us, Psalm 125, the only place we can find true security is by trusting the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we are beginning to face the reality of an insecure world around us. We have been lulled to sleep by a world that's been overall supportive of our Christian values. But that's changing rapidly. And so, Lord, as our eyes are being opened to the fact we live in a hostile culture, we always have, but now we're seeing it more clearly. May you help us understand today through this psalm what it means to trust you and find security in you when the world feels so insecure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I I do want to say a few words before we dig into this psalm about how your church, and in particular your church leadership, is responding to the current issues going on in our culture, and especially the same-sex marriage issue. Let me just say we've been anticipating this for a long time. It's not a surprise. (laughs) I taught a sermon almost two years ago, September 8th, 2013. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back. As it gives a biblical overview of marriage, you can go back to the website and listen to it, September 8th, 2013. 
Since then, your elders and pastors have read several books on the issue. We've attended a seminar regarding same-sex marriage. We've had a staff elder retreat this last spring discussing the issue. The elders have published a position paper on marriage and sexuality, which is in the back. You're welcome to pick it up. It's several pages long. It's in-depth. And we're slowly working on updating our Constitution so that we state very clearly what we believe. Let me just read the summary of this policy paper so you understand where we stand on the issue. Consistent with the command in Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Our desire is to encourage and uphold monogamous, heterosexual, lifelong marriage. We also honor those who choose to live lives of chaste singleness. Alternatives such as adultery, fornication, prostitution, non-biblical divorce, polygamy, homosexuality, and pornography are considered sin. We deal with these sins in the same way we deal with any other sin, beginning with an acknowledgement that we are all sinners saved by grace, remembering that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that he died for us even though we are sinners. Thus, our desire for those engaged in a sinful lifestyle is that they would repent and trust the Lord Jesus and be more and more conformed to Christ's likeness. I encourage you to read that if you have an interest in knowing more what the elders think about these issues. But we as your church leadership are continually wrestling with what it means to be a church that emphasizes both truth and love, that we hold to the biblical truth as inviolable. And yet, we want to love. We want to be a place where people are loved well. We want to be a place where those who are seeking God and are struggling with sexual issues, who are struggling with same-sex attraction, who are struggling with pornography and other sexual issues, where they can come and find a listening ear and find healing and find life, through Jesus Christ. They can be supported and cared for and loved well. And we don't want to be a church that hides. We want to be a church that engages our culture to share the love of Christ, recognizing that we're all sinners who need grace together. We also recognize as a church that we may very likely, it seems to be moving this direction, we may very likely lose our tax-exempt status because of our stand on marriage. And then you will have a choice to decide, am I willing to give to a church where I receive no tax benefit from my donation? That will be coming someday, probably. (laughs) And can I be part of a church that holds firmly to biblical truth and yet is ministering to same-sex couples and reaching out to love them, seeking to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to their lives? We don't have it all figured out. We're wrestling with it. But we want to help walk you through it, and we're figuring out how to do that. Maybe develop discussion groups, whatever. We want, we want to do this together. And so I encourage you to pray for us. Pray for your leadership. These will be challenging days ahead. But let's walk through this together as the body of Christ, shall we? So that's how Cole is responding in a big overview. That's where we are. But how should each of us, as individuals, believers, be responding as the people of God? 
In other words, what is the way to security in such an insecure world for each of us personally? I think the psalm can help us think that through. I see the psalmist revealing to us three things we must do if we are going to find security in an insecure world. And the very first one is trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Notice how he begins. Those who trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist describes a simile, a figure of speech. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, like the mount upon which the temple stood, the temple mount, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And he says, those who trust in God, who trust in Yahweh, are protected, surrounded by the Lord like the mountains surround Mount Zion. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you realize, you think about Mount Zion being a high, high mountain, but actually all around it are mountains that are higher. To the east is the Mount of Olives that looks down on the Temple Mount, Mount Scopus to the north, northeast. And there's hills to the west and the south that are above Mount Zion. They surround it, in a sense. They protect it. And so it's a picture for the psalmist that this place is a secure place. It's surrounded. It's protected. It's guarded by the Lord. And that's how a believer is who trusts in him. Jerusalem was a very secure place. You go there and you think, this doesn't seem like it would be that defendable, but the greatest nation in the world at the time, the Babylonians, with their huge army, when they laid siege to Jerusalem, it took them 30 months, two and a half years, to finally break through the wall and take the city in 586 B.C., Now, what's very interesting as I read the psalm is most commentators think that the psalmist is writing after the exile, after the destruction of Jerusalem, after the temple had been destroyed. So when he says, oh, it's secure, it'll last forever, he's not thinking of the actual temple. He's thinking of the place where God dwells. That See, no matter if the temple's destroyed or not, where God is, it's secure forever absolutely secure. He's looking beyond the earthly Mount Zion, the Temple Mount, to the reign of God on earth, whether the temple is there or not. As one commentator put it, Mount Zion is more than a hill. It symbolizes God's help, his presence in blessing and protecting his people, and the privileges of the covenantal relationship. It's the relationship we have with the God who is the creator of the universe, who has all power. The author is saying, look, I'm in exile. We're away from Jerusalem. It's hard. We're living in an insecure environment in a foreign land. It's really tough for us. But you know what? God's still on his throne. He still reigns. He's still in charge. He cannot be moved. And not only that, but no matter where we are, if we trust in him, we are surrounded by his strength, by his power, by his presence, by his covenant love. 
we are roped to him. So no matter how difficult the path gets and we begin to slip and fall, we're roped to him and he is secure. We cannot fall. Amen? Amen. So the reason we can be secure in an insecure world is because the Lord surrounds his people forever. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court does or what our government does or anyone else or anything else. Yahweh still surrounds his people to protect and guard. It doesn't mean, though, that we won't suffer, right? In fact, that is our calling to walk in the steps of Jesus We will suffer, but ultimately we will be protected. It means that his greater purposes for us, which are always guided by love, can never be thwarted. I want you to hang on to that verse, that that statement. His greater purposes for us, which are always guided by love, can never be thwarted. So people's attempts to redefine marriage... And say, oh, no, it's not what you've said. It's not a man and a woman. You can be anything. It can be multiple partners. It can be whatever. You know, this is what people are pushing for. You can be married to your dog, your horse, whatever. I mean, you know, they're redefining it any way they want to. That doesn't change the reality of what God has ordained as marriage. And it doesn't change the fact that God is on his throne and that our security comes from him. So this psalm really challenges our trust. What what are we putting our weight on? Are, Are we putting our weight on our ability to be good Christians? Are we putting our weight on what the government does? Are we putting our weight on the culture's favor around us? What are we trusting in? Eugene Peterson says this, All the persons of faith that I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers, We are secure, not because we're sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. The opening phrase of the psalm is, those who trust in God, not those who trust in their performance, in their morals, in their righteousness, in their health, in their pastor, in their doctor, in their president, in their economy, in their nation. No, it's those who trust in God. Those who decide that God's for us and will make us whole eternally. So those who trust in him, the psalmist says, are immovable, like Mount Zion. It doesn't matter what goes on around us. We're immovable. We can't be moved because he surrounds us with his love forever. I like the picture that's given in Psalm 34, verse 7. Verse 6 and 7 say this, This poor man cried... David was going through a tough time. He cries out to the Lord. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then he says this. This is what the Lord does. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I love that picture of the angel of the Lord. God sends his most powerful forces to camp right around his chosen people. No matter what you're facing, the angel of the Lord is encamped around you if you're trusting him and learning to depend on him more and more. But when we talk about trusting the Lord, if you're like me, you begin to think, well, I try to trust the Lord, but I find sometimes I really doubt. Sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I get emotional. Sometimes it's hard for me. 
Eugene Peterson again addresses that as he says, one threat to our sense of security comes from feelings of depression and doubt. The person of faith is described in this psalm as a rock-solid mountain. Nothing can move it. But I am moved. (laughs) I'm full of faith one day and empty with doubt the next. I wake up one morning full of vitality, rejoicing in the sun. The next day I'm gray and dismal, faltering and moody. Nothing can move it? (laughs) Nothing could be less true of me. I can be moved by nearly anything. Sadness, joy, success, failure. I'm a thermometer and I go up and down with the weather. But then he says this. My feelings are important for many things. They're essential and valuable. They keep me aware of much that's true and real. But they tell me next to nothing about God or my relation to God. My security comes from who God is, not from how I feel. Discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not by what I feel about him or myself or my neighbors. When life is insecure and you feel insecure, remember that your security comes not from how you feel, but from the God who surrounds you and protects you and has firmly planted you on Mount Zion. So how does God protect us in an insecure world? What, what does he do? Verse 3 is very informative, I think. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. What's he saying there? I think the psalmist is, is looking at the history of Israel and saying, you know, there have been a lot of bad kings, unrighteous scepters, Scepters of wickedness over our people. It's been a rough road up to this point. But he's remembering the promise that was given to David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne and reign forever and there would be no more wickedness. There would be a righteous, godly king. In other words, as he writes this, he's looking forward to the coming of Messiah, of Jesus Christ, the true king, the eternal king. The one who came to take our sins away and give us life forever and reign forever. We have the opportunity to look back on Jesus' coming and recognize he is on the throne and he is Lord today. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Therefore, whatever the Supreme Court does, whatever happens in culture doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord. He reigns. He's in charge So our security comes from recognizing that. And the psalmist, as he looks forward, for us, as we look back, we can be secure because we know that God has put his eternal one on the throne. Yeshua, Jesus Christ, who died to conquer sin and rose again and reigns forever, is our godly Lord. And so our protection comes from him. So he protects us by giving us Jesus. And then because we have Jesus... We learn to walk in righteousness. The end of verse 3, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. God protects us by sending Jesus to reign and through him sets us free from our greatest enemy, which is us. It's our sin. That's our real enemy. It's not the culture out there. The real enemy is sin. But in Jesus, he protects us even from that. So we learn more and more to walk in him depending on him, trusting him to live out goodness. 
to live godly lives in an ungodly world. So the psalmist encourages, first of all, if you want to to have security in an insecure world, and believe me, we all need that, right? First, it begins by trusting Jesus, putting your weight on him, recognizing he reigns, he is Lord, the Lord surrounds us, he protects us, and he protects, it says, the righteous. Now, if you're like me, you hear that word and we go, righteous, well, that apparently isn't me, because I can't pull that off. But you have to recognize the word righteous when it talks about the righteous ones. In the Old Testament, it's not talking about those who do everything right. It's talking about those who are part of the covenant community, who have put their faith in Christ. And if you become a Christian, you've given your life over to him, and now you're learning to walk with him and learning to walk in righteousness and learning to put off sin, you are considered scripturally one of the righteous because you've been declared righteous through the blood of Christ. It's those who are part of the covenant people. So first of all, trust in him. Secondly, what we see the psalmist do to help us understand how to get security in an insecure world is he prays for justice. He prays for justice. Notice verse 4 and 5. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. I don't know about you, but the more I get to know Jesus, the more I walk with him, the more I read the newspaper every day, it gets harder and harder as I look at what a messed up world this is and how much harm we do to one another. And it makes my heart want to cry out for justice. Lord, why don't you fix this? When we see the mess and ungodliness of this world, I think we should be moved to cry out in prayer. Lord, bring justice. Deal with evil. Bless those who trust you. Bless those who do good. Now, sometimes I think we hear prayer like that and we think, oh, well, as Christians, we're supposed to love our enemies, right? We shouldn't pray that God would judge them, right? Well, no, I think we should. Yes, we want to love our enemies and we want to share Christ with them and we long for them to be saved. We long for the entire world to be saved. But realize the world is not ultimately our enemies. (laughs) Satan is, the flesh is, the world is, yes, in general. but, But we want to see righteousness. This world is so destructive and painful and messy and awful. We should pray for God to bring justice. And in fact, justice is coming. It's God's plan. It's coming. I like the way it's put in First Thessalonians, or excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. As Paul writes, he says to the Thessalonians, verse 5 and following, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you be, may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Take this as I read this as God's words to you. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints 
and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Paul does not pull any punches. He feels free to say, look, judgment is coming and, and those who do believers harm will be judged. And I think it's okay to pray for that. Pray for justice. Justice is coming, he says. So long for it. Pray for it. But it's not our job to bring vengeance. It's not our job to set all things right. It's his job. It's his job. So we need to turn it over to him. We don't hang on to anger. We don't hang on to a vengeance spirit. We need to forgive. But we turn it over to him. And we find peace in him and say, Lord, it's yours to deal with. Please bring justice. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. That helps us find security in an insecure world because we know this is not all there is, that the justice is coming. And there's great comfort in that. So trust in Jesus. Pray for justice to come. And then third, I think the encouragement of the psalmist is that we do good. In the meantime, while we wait for justice to come, we do good. Do good, Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts, etc., etc. Do good, I think, is the encouragement for us, that while we're here, we continue to do good, to seek to be salt and light in this dark world. As someone has well said, if the darkness is growing, it's because the light has dimmed. Who's the light? It's us. It's us. So if the darkness is growing, it's because the light has dimmed. Let's shine our lights. Let's be the light of the world by truthing in love, living out the truth, not compromising on what the scriptures say, but finding a way, even as we hang on to truth, to share love and care for those around us. We will be salt and light in the world as we seek to give a cup of water to the thirsty world around us to help them know Christ. We are to love our enemies. We are to live out shalom as he ends the psalm. Peace be upon Israel. Shalom be upon Israel. Live out shalom so we can be sharing shalom with this world that is confused and lost. Let me encourage you to think of three areas of your, of your life. As you think about doing good, what does it mean in an insecure world to do good? Begin with your family, your home. In a world that's so confused about marriage, love your spouse well if you are married. If you're single, love the people around you well. Learn to be someone who has healthy, strong relationships. But if you're married, love your spouse well. Don't buy into the culture's ideas that somehow, gee, if I'm not happy, I'll cut and run and You know, I see too many Christians doing that. No, be committed. Have a covenant relationship where you work through issues and you learn to love each other well. That may be the most important thing we can do in the kind of world in which we live. Secondly, as part of your family life, make sure you pass on the truth to your children. And make sure you take some responsibility in that. Don't rely on just the church or your Christian school or whatever to pass on the truth to your children. Take some responsibility to teach them the truth. We need strong families. That's going to be the core of us shining our light in this dark world. Secondly, with other believers. 
Make sure you love one another well in the body of Christ, here at Cole, with other believers outside of Cole, wherever God has placed you. Jesus said, By this all men shall know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Love other believers well. Serve one another. Learn to die to yourself for the sake of one another. Then you'll be salt and light in a world that does not understand love at all. It has a perverted view of love. And then finally, third, love the world. Do good in the world. Realize the darkness that the world is living in. There's this false view that somehow those living a homosexual lifestyle you know, are experiencing real love and, and all of that. Well, if you start really seeing what their lives are like and you see the statistics, you realize that's not true. You realize those who are Avowed homosexuals have a 20-year shorter life expectancy than the rest of us. Their lives are not healthy. There's brokenness. They're hurting. They want to portray a picture that this life that they're living is wonderful. It's not. And they're desperate to hear the love of Christ as they experience the wrath of God in their lives, even as they experience slavery to sin and guilt, and shame. So if you have opportunity, make friends with a gay person. Care for them, love them, look for a way to serve them. Jeannie and I had the opportunity to be with some friends just yesterday. Went to their house with another couple, so three couples, and we're relaxing, and we we got a, a text from a neighbor of these friends' house that we were at, and and the these neighbors were lesbian neighbors and they were talking about in this text what a bad day they were having and they had all these rocks in their driveway and that they were afraid somebody was going to steal them and they didn't know what to do. And, and so, you see, their relationship had been opened because these friends had built a friendship. So we got up and went over there and moved all the rocks, these pallets of heavy rocks, to the backyard out of the way so they would feel more comfortable and secure and just said hello, got to know them a little bit. And they were so thankful that we would go out of our way to help them move their rocks. You know, it's a little thing, but for me, it just was eye-opening to realize it's just in little things like that where we can share the love of Christ. But the reason it happened is because these friends had built a friendship with their neighbors who were gay, who were lesbian. Make friends with a gay person. Let them know Jesus loves them and died for them. Look, the reality is many of us are facing the fact, maybe for the first time, that this world is a lot more insecure than we've ever realized. For us as believers, it's not as friendly. It's going to be tough in the years ahead. It's more dangerous than we realize. So where will we look to for security? A president? Government? Regulations? Some kind of legal protection? Or will we find our security in trusting the Lord who has set Jesus on the throne and given him all authority in heaven and earth? Will we find our security in confidently praying that the Lord would bring justice in his timing and in his way? And will we find security by living out goodness in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, among those in our world who are hurting and dying. 
Are we doing good? Depending on the love of Jesus to love those around us so they too can be set free and find security in Christ in an insecure world. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are the rock. But the amazing thing about this psalm is it doesn't just say you are the rock. It says we are like the rock, like Mount Zion, when we trust in you. We confess, Lord, we don't feel very secure in this world, but you are our security. And may we trust you, pray to you, and do good. And as we do so, may we find you to be all that we need, the solid rock on which we stand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.